Real Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Welcome to, to everyone out there in Real Presence Radio Land. This is Thursday's installment of Real Presence Live, and I am your host, Jack Kennelly. I'd like to say my lovely wife is with me, but she is not. She's with the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd Kids. Uh, she had a conflict, so she's not here, which is uh, make, it's making me to fly solo, which may be kind of dangerous for uh, the program here because uh, I don't have my usual uh, what, filters, I guess, in place with Green not here. But uh, we have Trez in the uh, in the control room, and she can see me, and she can give me dirty looks if it looks like I'm getting off the rail. So anyway, we're happy to have you here on this Thursday, November second. It's uh, a decent day in Fargo, weather-wise, a little bit cloudy. Uh, yesterday, I think we had a high somewhere in the 50s. Today, I think we're only going to be in the 30s. So I guess we're back to fall. But we did have a one-day reprieve, and uh, I think we got a, a, a kind of a, a real good mix. For our program today, we have Chris Motes coming up first uh, from the South Dakota Catholic Conference, and he's going to talk, us about, talk to us about the Dobbs case, which was heard by the Supreme Court yesterday. And that was the uh, case that's involving, I think it's the Mississippi uh, abortion uh, restrictions. And, uh, of course, there's been a lot of stuff in the, uh, the media about that. And then we have Steve Weidenkopf, a historian who's going to talk about some dark times in the papacy in Catholic history, and I think that'll be very interesting. Uh, we have Honor Our Fathers. I get to uh, announce the winner of the donuts, but I'm not going to tell you who it is, and that's just to encourage you to stay on the air for this first hour uh, if you weren't going to, because I'm sure you don't want to miss that part of the program to find out who gets the donuts. Maybe it's somebody you know, and then you'll have coffee with them and suggest, well, why don't you bring donuts, Father? Yeah, that would work. And then we have Father Robert Keller of the Diocese of Fargo, and he's going to talk about how to read the Bible. And Father Paul Check from the Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so there's some upcoming Marian feasts, and I'm sure that we're going to talk about those. So uh, that's just a brief uh, uh, look at uh, the program for today. But as usual, let's start this with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us today on the air as we uh, broadcast uh, your word. And we ask you to uh, be with me in particular and also with, with all of our guests so that uh, whatever we say today is going to be all for your honor and glory. And we ask all of this through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, well, with that, I would like to introduce to you Chris Motes from the South Dakota Catholic Conference, and I did mention he was going to talk about the Dobbs case, but Chris, I'll let you kind of introduce yourself. Like I, I told Chris before we went on the air that without Dreen here, I might get lost for words, so I'm just going to lean on him to kind of fill this whole half hour, but I think you would rather listen to him because he's got an interesting uh, uh, topic to cover rather than me. So Chris, take it away. 
Hey, well, it's great to be here with you, Jack. Uh, really a uh, pleasure to be on the program. And we can definitely fill this half hour because this is a big, big, big case. Um, you know, I, I guess you'd ask me to just say a word about myself. As you mentioned, I am the director of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. I'm also um, married, uh, proud father of uh, four little kids. And it's a significant legal case for me to be talking about right now because my wife is expecting so as I was tuning into this case, um, listening to these to these justices ask really you know sharp good questions of these lawyers yesterday in this big big pro life case, it had some special meaning for me because my wife is is expecting our fifth child uh, right now. She's due in February, which is is this case is probably not going to be decided by then. How it how it typically works. Um, the, the bigger decisions uh, for each Supreme Court cur- uh, term are typically released at towards the end of the term, which is going to be in, in June. It's like they put out the big decision, and then, and then they've got to get out of town on their summer vacation uh, for a while. But, um, yeah, so this, the, the case, the Dobbs case, I think we've all heard about it by now, but really what's, what's at issue in the case is a Mississippi state law that prohibits abortions after 15 weeks uh, gestation. And, and that's significant because that flies in the face of existing precedent under, under our uh, abortion jurisprudence in America, principally Roe versus Wade, going back to 1973, and, and then Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, which um, a lot of people remember, remember that case, too. Now, what those two cases stand for is that um, they stand for the proposition uh, that abortion um, uh, abortion there's this line of viability and after that line uh, which is generally understood to be about 24 weeks of, of a, a child being viable uh, after that line uh, you can you can regulate abortion before that line so before that line, you cannot regulate abortion if it's going to impose an undue burden on a, a woman's ability to obtain an abortion. So, of course, 15 weeks in this Mississippi law comes before uh, 24 weeks, which is why, which is why it was challenged. Um, now, it was really significant to even recognize from the outset that, that the Supreme Court took this case. You know, usually... Um, Usually cases are uh, statutes like this, they'll get struck down in the lower courts, and then the Supreme Court doesn't even take them. Like, what's, what's the purpose? They've, they've decided on things like this before. So to see that they even took this case was really an exciting thing for a lot of pro-lifers to recognize, like, oh, there's, there's maybe something different this time. Not so much that, um, not, not so much that the, the type of challenge is new. There have been lots of sorts of challenges in the past that have, uh, that have, that have uh, transgressed this viability line, whether they're, you know, we've, we've heard about heartbeat bans or, or various uh, Down syndrome, uh, abortion bans, et cetera. But um, so this, the fact that the court took this case was a very exciting thing. And I think there are a lot of exciting things uh, just from listening to the arguments yesterday, too, a lot of exciting things that we can point to uh, with with optimism. Now we we should always be careful um, 
of course, trying to, uh, you know, read the tea leaves or, or maybe be a little too optimistic. For those who were um, paying close attention in 1992, there was a lot of optimism when um, the Planned Parenthood versus Casey case was in front of the court. And, of, and of course, in that case, all the optimism was completely uh, smashed. And so I'm not saying that's going to happen here, but I, we, we should want to just be careful with making predictions um, and, and keep praying. But with that said, there were a lot of things in the argument itself that, that are cause for, for much optimism. One of the things that really struck me, Jack, was the focus on stare decisis in the arguments. Now, there are, just to give a, a quick overview for the listeners of the nine justices on the court, you've got three justices that are, you know, are, are broadly considered your, your liberal justices or your uh, Democratic uh, appointees. It's Justices uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and, and Breyer. And then you've got six that were appointed by Republicans. Uh, two have been on the court for a time, um, or excuse me, three have been on the on the court for some time. That's uh, Chief Justice Roberts, uh, Samuel Leo, and then Clarence Thomas. And then three were appointed by President Trump. That's Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett. Um, but this this concept of of stare decisis was discussed quite a bit. Stare decisis is an old legal doctrine means let the decision stand. And in our system of, of laws and uh, judicial um, judging, there's a principle that um, there's a principle that like cases that have already been decided, the rules from those cases apply to future cases. So we, we let the decision stand. And the Supreme Court has overturned its precedents in in the past, but it's 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 very rare for it to do so. It doesn't happen that often. So it, it was significant to me, though, that, that stare decisis featured really prominently, especially Justice Breyer, um, one of the um, liberal justices. He, he asked a lot of questions about this and was really focused on it. Um, and the reason I thought it was significant is because almost nobody was defending the original reasoning of, of Roe versus Wade, with with the exception of uh, Justice Sotomayor, who is kind of playing out some really, really bad arguments from the um, pro-abortion side. By and large, those arguments got very, very little airtime, and the, the bulk of the opposition was focusing on this principle of stare decisis, which to me is, is great. It means that we've, we've really... Uh, carried the day in making the point that Roe versus Wade uh, is just bad law. Nobody's defending its reasoning anymore, which is which is a really positive thing. Um, as as I mentioned, Justice Sotomayor did um, she she did kind of play out some of the really bad arguments from the other side in a, in a way that was a bit stretched and strained. She at one point was. Compare, uh, comparing unborn life in the womb to, um, you know, a, a brain dead person in the hospital, and it was, um, it, it was really, frankly, a little bit difficult to listen to. Um, and I don't think she, I don't think she persuaded any of her colleagues uh, of those arguments. Um, 
Justice Kagan was was pretty quiet overall. I don't know exactly why that is. I've I've read some speculation that maybe that's because she's she's going to be waiting until uh, the negotiation sort of conference committee with her with her colleagues to to really hash this out. Um, which which by the way, the justices will be meeting privately whenever they hear a whenever they hear a big case. Uh, like this, or any case, really. They they then meet um, later that week in private conference just to get a sense of um, they kind of do like a straw poll and and figure out where where they're all at. And they they kind of take an informal vote, and um, and that way they can start writing the opinions and 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 formulating what the what the decision is going to look like. Now that's going to happen this Friday. That's going to happen tomorrow. Um, which is important for listeners to know, so we can we can pray for that. But um, yeah, the 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 really great questions, um, the, a lot of a lot of great questions were coming from some of these justices that that we're expecting are going to be really favorable to overturning Roe versus Wade. Um, you know, one of the really exciting recent additions to the court, uh, Amy Coney Barrett. She's, of course, an exciting addition to the court because she herself has, she's a mother, she has, she has seven kids, she's the only justice on the court who didn't go to an Ivy League law school, she's a graduate of, of Notre Dame. I think um, many of us will know that she is, she is a, a, a Catholic. Um, she, she had a line of questioning that, that really focused on the, the shifts in the laws in the various states in the last 50 years since the adoption of Roe versus Wade that has really made it easier for for women to um, give their children up for adoption if uh, if they want to um, kind of uh, she she was driving against the argument that oh the burdens of motherhood are are just so so great you know that's one of the arguments that's made by pro abortion advocates and and the point was well, this is that's you know that's what adoption is for is for women who are not um, not able to parent uh, for one reason or another, and and there wasn't a good response uh, to her from from the abortion advocates at the court. So, um, you know, we we could keep talking. That that there is a lot a lot that came. But this principle of stare decisis is gonna is gonna prove important. Um, but one of the one of the other justices who has been on the record for quite some time as as believing that Roe has got to go, Justice Alito, he at one point had the Solicitor General of the United States, who is defending defending Roe versus Wade, essentially suggesting that um, Plessy versus Ferguson, which was an 1896 case um, upholding so-called separate but equal. Uh, racial segregation. The Solicitor General of the United States was was all but defending um, that that case for the sake of defending stare decisis. Uh, it was sort of an intellectual battle of the wits right there that that Justice Alito was winning. Chris, I'm going to interrupt you right now, but keep hold on to your thoughts. We've got a, we're uh, we're into a break time right now, so we're going to take a quick break. And I ask our listeners to uh, stay tuned. We're talking with uh, Chris Mose from the South Dakota Catholic Conference about the Dobbs case that was heard yesterday by the Supreme Court. So stay with us for more Real Presence Live on the other side of the break. 
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, the Executive Director of Riverview Place in Fargo. The blessing of our foundation built on faith and our sense of fellowship strengthens our sense of safety, security, and community. This is what the region has come to rely on at Riverview Place for the past 35 years. We'd love to have you join us. Call 701-237-4700 to set up a tour today or check us out at homeishere.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Okay, welcome back to the uh, this installment of Real Presence Live. My name is Jack Canelli, and with me for this half hour is Chris Motes from the South Dakota uh, Catholic Conference. We're talking about the Supreme Court case that was heard yesterday regarding the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban, and it's been all over in the media. People kind of already speculating which way they think the Supreme Court is going to go. And before the break, I think we were talking about a little bit about the stare decisis. And Chris, why don't you just take it up from there? Yeah, well, you mentioned a great, great point. Is some of the chatter you're seeing in the media, Jack, um, on on just kind of doesn't this go back to the states and and that is that's at the heart of that's at the heart of Mississippi's argument in the case is that this particular the so-called right to abortion that has been found in in the penumbra, as the as the saying goes, of uh, of the privacy interests. Um, so. Mississippi's argument is that this this so-called right has no basis in the text, history, or tradition of of the Constitution. That it was essentially invented, and for that reason, the proper place to um, debate abortion to protect life is within the states. 
So that's what the state of Mississippi is asking for the Supreme Court to do, is to simply um, to overturn Roe versus Wade, which then returns the issue to the states. Um, and we would have states all over the country, you know, South Dakota and North Dakota, um, California and New York. They would have a variety of approaches to the regulation of abortion. You'd have, you'd have some, some states where abortion is, uh, is not permitted at all. And you'd have others where it's, it's permitted, uh, during, during every day of pregnancy right up until the moment of, of birth. Um, that's what the state of Mississippi was, was asking for. Um, and so that, that really is, I think, an important point for pro-lifers to understand, because if the Supreme Court, in this case, gives Mississippi what it wants and, and overturns Roe versus Wade and sends, um, sends it back to the states, so to speak, then the, the pro-life fight in America is far from over. It's, it's, what it's done is it's entered a, a new phase. It's um, entered a new chapter. And we've got to work really um, harder than ever to, uh, to safeguard the dignity of life in the womb, to safeguard that, the sacred relationship between a mother and a child. We've got to work harder than ever uh, for those really important things in, in our states. Um, you know, I, one of the things you mentioned at, at the break, Jack, is that the media is... You know, even your, even our, our pro-abortion, um, you know, folks in the media are being really pessimistic from their point of view about this case. So earlier, I, I had kind of given a caution. Well, you know, let's not count our chickens before we're hatched here, but but we do got to recognize, um, by by all accounts, whether they're pro-life accounts or pro-abortion accounts. The argument yesterday went really, really well for the for the pro life side. Um, there were, and and you can you know you can only get so much currency out of uh, trying to discern from the questions, but the the questions by and large were really favorable to um, to to the pro life side. You know, you've got um, a number of justices all pretty openly. Uh, showing just real skepticism with the current state of affairs with Roe versus Wade. One of the question marks that people are going to have is uh, concerning uh, Chief Justice Roberts. He he was kind of asking some technical questions about the the holding of of Roe and Casey about viability. He was asking some technical questions about, well, you know, is this viability thing, is this really, is this the holding of the case, or is this dicta? Dicta mm-hmm. means is it, it's kind of just like an aside uh, in, in the decision. He may be looking, um, it's been speculated by some, that, that he'll be looking for a way to kind of walk back Roe and Casey without overturning them directly. Um, now... I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. You know, the viability is just so central to how these these cases have been um, played out that it's it's going to be uh, it's. I think it's going to be difficult for him to to try and to try and walk it back. But but he he may try and do that. And if he could get 
you know, he's got to build a coalition of, of five, five justices around an opinion. Maybe he could get, um, you know, Kagan or Breyer, who, who neither one of them defended um, the merits of, of Roe. Maybe he could get a couple of them and, and a couple of the other justices to, to craft a decision that, that lets the Mississippi law stand. They're going to let this 15-week ban stand. But neither are they going to. Um, so, in other words, they'll get rid of viability as the rule. But neither are they going to essentially um, permit the the banning of, a, of of abortion altogether by completely eliminating uh, Roe and Casey. It's it seems to me that the viability yeah. argument, or at least trying to use that as some sort of a uh, a. Uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Some sort of a dividing line between, you know, when abortions are performed or when they should not be performed because nobody seems to really know, have a real good bright line idea of when that is. And it seems like uh, the thinking at the time of Roe versus Wade has been uh, has been um, eclipsed by the medical science in the course of the last 50 years where we know a lot more about what's going on during, you know, uh, in fetal development and uh, it seems like the thinking of Roe is probably just outdated. I mean, the science behind it. Yeah, that's right. And that that was discussed too by the justices yesterday. Uh, you know, it's we've got. Uh, I, I think there are, are children now that have survived premature delivery at like 21 weeks, which is really this would have been just absolutely unthinkable, inconceivable at the time of Roe and 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 at the time of Casey too. That a, that a child could survive outside the womb. So, you know, the viability, viability is, is a shifting, arbitrary standard. And it's really, it's, it only keeps up with, you know, the, the latest medical advances of the day. So um, it, it, it's certainly arbitrary when it comes to trying to determine when, and, uh, when somebody has, has rights or not, mm-hmm. um, meaning the unborn child. Yeah, but it sounds like they, <clears throat> that wasn't necessarily the heart of the arguments, though the, 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 the science part of it. It was more the stare decisis in the uh, states, uh, the power of the states. Am I right on that? that, that that's, that's correct. Um, that is correct. You know, some of the science did come into it. Like I said, uh, Justice Sotomayor brought in some kind of, I don't know, weird, weird science <laughs> that... Um, I mean, one of the things, that, and maybe this is just because it pricks her conscience and makes her very uncomfortable, but we've seen, she talked a little bit about fetal pain, and she was trying to undermine this this idea that unborn in the womb can feel pain by going back to this brain-dead, making a comparison to brain-dead people of, well, if you, if you poke somebody's foot who's brain-dead, they'll recoil, and she was really trying to undermine this um, this idea that the unborn can feel pain, which was very, again, very strange. So they, you know, they did touch on the science. Um, there were a lot of, uh, there were, oh boy, how many, I, I don't even remember offhand now, but there were many, many, many dozens of amicus briefs submitted in this case, including amicus briefs um, from medical doctors, from scientists. So the court will have um, kind of the, the latest and greatest from the medical sciences in front of them when they're, when they're considering 
what to do here. But then it's, um, I, I, I'm guessing the, the 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 science will be there, but um, I, I'm my suspicion is that the, the the opinion is probably going to be a lot more on the. Uh, technical constitutional side as far as what kind of authority the states have and was Roe actually properly decided in the first instance. That's that's right. Um, I, I think that's what I think that's what we can expect. You know, as I said, like there's nobody in the pro abortion, no, no serious scholars, even if they happen to think abortion is um, you know, a, a fine thing that should be legal. Nobody's defending the original reasoning of Roe versus Wade. It just wasn't a particularly well-reasoned um, piece of jurisprudence. So nobody's defending that. So I, I think you're right, Jack, that that really we're going to see a very lengthy analysis of of stare decisis, of, of when and why the court uh, overrules itself. You know, um, and and we're also going to see an unpacking of what is this, this you know, so-called right to privacy that we find, um, substantive due process right to privacy. And uh, and it's going to actually take quite a bit of care if they're going to walk that back. It's going to take quite a bit of care for them to do that in a way that doesn't damage other precedents. You know, this came up uh, during questioning yesterday, um, and the Solicitor General of Mississippi kind of had to deal with it. If we if we give you what you want and uh, and roll back Roe versus Wade, what does it do for these other precedents that are also relying on yeah. um, the substance due process yeah. privacy well, I guess, uh, right? I, I guess well, I'm sorry to cut you cut you off there, Chris, because we're again the time is not our friend, and we've got we've got a break here. But would you like to complete your thought and then? Uh, Oh no no that's 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 quite all right you know there um the there's a lot of work ahead of the court and what we can do for them at this point is is just pray yep. and get ready to keep working yeah, if, and I, if this issue comes back to the states yeah and I, and I think the idea of uh, praying particularly today and uh, tomorrow Friday when they go into conference that uh, that's going to be really important and we we hope that uh, they're inspired to go in the right direction and in, anyway, Chris, we'd like to thank you for being on this morning. And uh, the, the the timing was great just the day after the uh, the, the oral arguments. And uh, thanks to you and the South Dakota Catholic Conference for uh, being with us today. And I'm sure we'll be having you on again sometime in the future. And we ask our listeners to stay tuned because up next we'll be discussing why we shouldn't be discouraged by dark times in our Catholic history. Uh, kind of like now, maybe. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking to Steve Weidenkopf about uh, a period of history where we had a series of bad popes, actually. So stay with us. And again, Chris, thank you for being with us. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 